Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is December the 3rd, 2021. And my goodness gracious, the year is almost over. Those of you celebrating Hanukkah, I wish you all a happy Hanukkah. A Merry Christmas coming up. I hope everyone had a joyful, wonderful Thanksgiving last week. <clears throat> that was the reason I did not do my show last week. I had family visiting, my kids, grandchildren. And in life, we have to prioritize. And while I love doing the show, and I'm so glad that you're all out there, I have a confession. There's nothing that beats being with my children, their spouses, my grandchildren, my family. Uh, We really have to prioritize. Life is truly about priorities. Um, Unfortunately, it seems that our government lacks priorities, lacks compassion, lacks consideration, lacks common sense, lacks morality. My gosh, I could probably go on for the next hour talking about all the things that are lacking among our supposed leaders, but I'm not going to waste my time with that. But what I want to do tonight, because Congress is out, and it's always a good thing, I guess, because that means they're not in Washington creating more headaches for us. Uh, or at least they're supposed to be going out shortly. But while they're out, they're going to be pushing this idiotic and dangerous Build Back Better bill that was just passed in the House. Now the Senate, forgive me, the Senate will be taking up the bill. And what's remarkable, I've been watching the news, difficult as it is. I sometimes just try to get away from the news. There's some terrific other programs on TV and other ways of being entertained. The news is hardly entertaining. But even the so-called conservative programs in discussing Build Back Better and excoriating it and attacking it for being the disastrous boondoggle that it is that would raise inflation through the rafters, the most conservative programs, at least the ones that I've seen, fail to talk about the true significance of the immigration amnesty that is part and parcel of the of the bill. And I will tell you something, not because I'm quote-unquote the immigration guy or it's quote-unquote my issue, but because immigration plays such a profound role in just about every challenge and threat that we face. If you really knew the magnitude of this amnesty that they're trying to foist on us, you would realize that if all that this bill did was to have the immigration elements in it, it would be utterly destructive to America. And what's remarkable and I think very telling is that the conservative programs have shied away from it. They talk about the Green New Deal. They talk about all kinds of issues. But immigration is the third rail, because if you watch the news, almost inevitably, when some supposed journalist, and I use that term loosely, journalist, 
<clears throat> questions a politician, they will almost always breathlessly ask, how soon will they pass comprehensive immigration reform? How soon will you fix this broken immigration system? And so what I want you to know is that comprehensive immigration reform would destroy the United States. And believe me, I'm not a xenophobe. I'm a Jewish kid from Brooklyn. I'm a first-generation American. I'm not opposed to immigration. I am opposed to immigration, however, that would flood America with so many new immigrants. And I don't care what country they come from. I don't care what their skin color is. I don't care about their ethnicity. I'm concerned about the sheer numbers and the inability to vet these folks and what this would mean for America. They always underestimate the numbers to make it seem more appealing than it is. It reminds me of my son getting his driver's license, and he was in his early 20s. And he said, Dad, I'm going to go out and I'm going to lease a new Honda. It's an easy car. It's not that expensive. And like my son's an engineer. He's making a good buck, but he lives home. And he said, so if you could go with me, that would be great. So we went to a dealership, and the dealer gave my son a price for a car that he was looking at, not, not a, you know, a fancy car, a fundamental Honda Accord, very nice vehicle. We, we sat in it. We took it for a test drive. It was so bare bones, the rear seat didn't even have a vent, which I thought was kind of odd. <clears throat> but, again, he's going to basically use it for himself. He said, I don't care about the back seat that much, Dad. I said, okay, if you're happy with it. And we were all set to lease the vehicle. And I asked the salesman, what would the insurance run, my son? And the salesman did everything he could to get my son to sign the contract before he gave us an insurance quote. It was absolutely astonishing. I'm glad I was there. I, I don't know how my son would have dealt with it. He's very, very smart. But he's, a, you know, a young man. <clears throat> and he, he was all upset because here he's looking at this beautiful, shiny car. He's ready to drive it home, and the guy is handing him this pen. I said, put the pen down. Put the pen down. How much is the insurance? Oh, I'm sure it's reasonable. We'll work something out. Just sign here. Let's, let's get this thing. I said, no, 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 no. Before my son signs on the dotted line to commit himself to paying for the car for the next three years, it was a three-year lease, we need to know what the insurance is. And this guy was absolutely doing a tap dance. Fred Astaire would have been impressed with this guy's ability as a dancer. And finally, when he realized that I wasn't going to budge and my son reluctantly agreed with me, it turned out the insurance would have been a multiple of what the lease of the car would have been. It would have been more than twice the cost of leasing the car. Well, that was the showstopper. <clears throat> and I said to the salesman, what kind of nonsense is this? I said, it's obvious to me that you knew that if we knew out fr up front what the cost of the lease would be, that we, not the lease, but the insurance rather, the lease wasn't going to happen. I said, how unscrupulous is that? I said, I'm going to tell you what, you just lost a customer. And we walked out of the showroom. My son was disappointed, but he said, boy, Dad, I'm so glad I brought you along with me. Nothing like experience. I said, well, there you go. And these guys hounded my son at work for at least three weeks. Please, 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 please. Maybe we could work something out. Maybe we can cut a couple dollars off the A couple dollars. The insurance would have been something like, I don't know, $500 a month. The insurance. 
because he was under 25 and it was his first year with a license. That's the shenanigans being pulled on America where immigration is concerned. Sign here. You know, what is Nancy's famous words about Obamacare? You won't know what's in it until after we sign it, after we approve it, after it's voted for. Is that the way to do business? Ronald Reagan's disastrous amnesty that was part of the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986, and also known as IRCA, going by the initials Immigration Reform and Control Act, I'm not sure what they thought they were controlling, was for the first time supposed to, in fact it did, punish employers who hire illegal aliens. However, they never hired enough agents to do anything meaningful. Interior enforcement, as we will see shortly, is really the key to almost every aspect of the immigration crisis. We keep looking at the border and looking at the border. How, should, how big should the fence be and the fence isn't done? And if we don't build the border wall, and we go on and on and on about the border, the Mexican border, the Mexican border, the Mexican border. Reality is we have 50 border states. So the game got, gets played, you know, sign here, and finally we're going to prosecute those darn employers who violate the law. Okay. Well, yeah, we, we did prosecute some. We fined them and so forth. They served as an expert witness in a case involving a farm in Hawaii that actually was a miscarriage of justice to go after them. <clears throat> it was just absolutely wrong. Because if you look at the way the law has been written, you could prosecute or fine just about anybody. You're not allowed to ask the aliens that you hire for more ID than the minimum required by law. You would think that they would say, okay, you've got to show your alien registration card or other immigration documents to prove that you're entitled to work in the United States. Well, if you know anything about the I-9 process, an alien can show you their Social Security card, their driver's license, and on face value, you're supposed to decide whether or not to hire them. And, and yes, E-Verify should be mandatory. It should have been mandatory from the beginning. But even E-Verify without agents to go out and conduct field investigations and audits and so forth, all of this becomes meaningless. It's kind of like what Ronald Reagan said about the Russian treaties, you know, with test ban. Trust but verify. If you can't verify, you can't trust. And so the law has always been written in a bizarre way <clears throat> so that if some employer takes a magnifying glass out and starts scrutinizing documents, you could be considered violating the civil rights of the person you just hired because you're putting them through undue uh, torture or something. God knows. Seriously. So that was part one of the game that was played where the Reagan amnesty was concerned. Part two was... We were told that a million illegal aliens would come out of the proverbial shadows. About a million. We got a briefing from headquarters back then. I was an INS agent. And folks came in from Washington, and they said, yeah, we're figuring a million, at most a million and a half. We wound up with more than three and a half million. And that's not even the real number. And no one talks about it to this day. Because once you give lawful status to an alien, they are immediately, under law, entitled to bring in every one of their minor children and their spouses. People say to me, yeah, they're brothers and their sisters. And, 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 no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Uh, but that's reasonable. You know, I have an easy test if I was writing the law or an easy analogy to explain it to folks. And the idea of allowing brothers and sisters and their families to come to the United States when one of their siblings becomes a citizen is crazy. 
um, they can always visit on a tourist visa. No one talks about that. Oh, my God, they're separating them from their families. No, they're not. Get a tourist visa, or if you come from a visa waiver country, you don't even need a visa. Just hop on an airplane and visit for, for several months. Who's being separated? So it's lie after lie. We never talk about the non-immigrant visa. Come and visit. You know, my son, one of my oldest, uh, my oldest son lives out of town. If we're going to go visit him, we're not going to move in with him. <clears throat> we might visit for a few weeks and go home. And, and that, that's perfectly fine. But no one takes that into consideration because it's lie after lie, omission after omission, uh, and distorted fact after distorted fact. The border wall is a wall of hate. It's designed to keep Mexicans out. Well, the border wall is not designed to keep anybody out. You didn't mishear me. The border wall is not designed to stop people from entering the United States. What do you think of that? It does not block ports of entry. And even if Trump had finished the wall, it would not have blocked a single port of entry. People are supposed to go through ports of entry. I'm going to give you an analogy. When you go to the baseball stadium or you go to a football stadium or wherever, you go to an amusement park, there are gates and fences that you have to go around, and then you go through the gate, and you pay, and you get a ticket, and they let you in, and maybe they you know, subject you to a metal detector because we live in an insane world where too many lunatics have firearms that they shouldn't have. By the way, I support the Second Amendment. But if, if, you, if you look at some of these shootings, people that have had firearms never should have had them. I certainly took a lot of guns away from criminal aliens who were involved with drugs and terrorism and so forth. So <clears throat> we, we need to have metal detectors, fine. But the idea is you go through an orderly process, through a gate, you pay, they admit you, you take a seat, you enjoy the game. Having gates and fences around the ballpark isn't anti-fan. It's just to make sure there's no chaos. The border wall is no different. The idea is to have people go through the port of entry so they can be vetted, so we can keep out criminals and terrorists and aliens who would take the jobs Americans need, aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases, particularly important today with COVID. But yet, go to all these websites. Oh, anti-immigrant, these are haters. Haters, we just expect people to come go through a vetting process. That's not a hater. When you go to anyone's house, there's a doorbell, a, a knocker on the door. You knock on the door, you ring the bell. Today, everyone has the little cameras, which we have. You have a peephole. Why? So if someone knocks on your door or rings the bell, you can look and see who they are and decide whether or not you want to let them into your house. Countries do the same thing. It's called sovereignty. It's called common sense. But there is no common sense, and this is all a con game being foisted on us by the globalists. So when Reagan did his amnesty, we wind up with between three and a half and four million new immigrants, and they immediately brought in their children and their wives. And the analogy that I use is that if you have a health insurance policy, generally you put your spouse and your minor children on your health insurance. It's reasonable. <clears throat> you can't put your adult children on your policy once they get to be age 26, it's over. You can't put your brothers and your sisters and their spouses and their children on your health insurance. Imagine you have health insurance and your brother calls up and says, I broke my leg, I, I need to go to the hospital. Can he go to the hospital and have your insurance pay for his broken leg? Of course not. 
So why in the world do we give green cards to adult siblings of people who become citizens, and then they can bring all their families here? So you can have one new citizen petition for 50 or 60 people. Imagine if you have a family where you have eight brothers and sisters, and they're all married, and they all have children. Under current immigration law, once you become a citizen, you could petition to have every one of those people come to America. doesn't matter if you don't normally see them, but for maybe once every 10 years. And there's no requirement that you see them once they get here either. This is what's known as chain migration, and it's nuts. And America is the only major country to still do this madness. We don't have a shortage of people in the United States. Get stuck in traffic and tell me I'm wrong. So here we go. We, we don't even know what the number is, but I would not be shocked if we found out that the Reagan amnesty ultimately gave lawful status to maybe 20 million immigrants. Not just the 4 million that we legalized, but all of their kids and all of their spouses. And you may have people lying about whether or not they're really related to these children, so-called. Fraud runs rampantly. And if you look at the guy who runs Homeland Security, I call the Department of Homeland Surrender under Alejandro Mayorkas. He was the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services during the Obama administration and demanded that his people, the adjudicators, get to yes. You have got to approve those petitions. And when people balked and said, we can't, it's not legal, he had people demoted, removed. He did all kinds of coercive things. In fact, the Office of Inspector General conducted an investigation into Mayorkas and found that he ordered petitions to be approved for companies that may have had a link with terrorist organizations, according to a report that aired on ABC News and according to an Inspector General report. So this is now the guy who's running all of Homeland Security. ICE, Border Patrol, the whole shebang, they answered to get to yes Mayorkas. Do you think he's going to be concerned to check DNA to see people are really related? You could have one guy claiming to have 23 children and they could, their birthdays could be four months apart, and that won't matter because Mayorkas wants everybody to get in. You want to come here and we want to let you in. Come one, come all. <clears throat> so that's where we stand. So this, this amnesty supposedly, and, and if you read my articles, I have two articles out that I hope everybody will check out. Um, I have an article at Front Page Magazine, and you know I do a lot of writing for Front Page. I've been writing for them now for, gosh, six or seven years. Very proud of my relationship with the David Horowitz Freedom Center. They sponsor uh, um, Front Page Magazine. So my article for them is Biden's Build Back Better Speeds the Fencing of America. Uh, not the fence you think it is. Fence in law enforcement to someone who sells stolen property. The politicians and the lobbyists are auctioning off America and America's future, and with it the future of our children and grandchildren to the highest bidder. If that isn't stolen property, I don't know what is. The American dream, stolen property, where Americans are concerned, even as we bring in aliens and talk about the DREAM Act, which, by the way, <clears throat> incorporates the dreaded word alien. You know how we're not supposed to use the word alien? Well, DREAM Act and DREAMers is an acronym for Development, Relief, and Education of Alien Minors. Alien Minors. So when the word alien 
is essential to pushing this bogus narrative, then the word alien becomes palatable. But if you use the word alien, you'll probably be accused of committing a hate crime. God only knows. So I went into how this immigration bill would flood America with foreign workers, would create a national security catastrophe because there's no opportunity, no capability to interview millions of people. The DACA aliens, for the most part, were not interviewed. No field investigations. And we'll get into some of the other lies and and misstatements and and, and untruths that are involved with all this. So that's to begin with. I also wrote an article, and if you go to the, um, my radio program website, the links are there so you can click on them and see the articles. I hope you will. <clears throat> but then on November 26th, another organization, U.S. Incorporated, usinc.org, they used to publish a quarterly journal called The Social Contract. Uh, over the years, I wrote a bunch of articles for them. Well, they no longer publish The Social Contract, but they do have a blog at the U.S. Incorporated website. And the blog that I most recently posted there on November 26th, the title, Massive Amnesty and Build Back Better, would fulfill Pelosi's dream of transforming America. She said that Build Back Better was transformative. That was actually the truth. But let me read to you a quote, and this comes from U.S. Inc., um, And in it, I quoted an article that was published in the online news site, The Hill. Um, This is kind of interesting because uh, PBS, uh, when they reported about Build Back Better, absolutely ignored immigration, but The Hill did make note of the immigration element. So let me read to you how The Hill describes it. I think it's important. If the provision is approved by the Senate as is, immigration measure in this bill would allow undocumented people, they don't even use the word aliens or immigrants, no, just people, undocumented people, people walking around with no papers. I mean, understand the way that this issue is being presented to the American people. But, of course, this is the way they write it. The bill would allow undocumented people present in the United States since 2011, up to 10 years of work authorization, falling short of an initial goal to offer them a pathway to citizenship. The provision approved by the House offers a sort of waiver to immigration laws using a process known as parole to allow people to stay in the country for five years with the option to extend for another five years thereafter. About 6.5 million people would stand to benefit from the measure directly according to an analysis by the Congressional Budget Office, or the CBO. According to that analysis, about 3 million of these people would become eligible to springboard from the parole status to legal permanent residency, the first step towards citizenship. Nonsense. Nonsense. I'd like to know what the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, based their estimates on. First of all, They say that as long as you were in the United States, at least since 2011, that you would be eligible. So here's the first question. And if you watch the talking heads on TV, uh, they will sit there and pontificate on the altar of the television set, the television studio. Well, if these folks have been living here for X number of years and they have no arrests, then why would you want them to leave? Well, illegal is illegal. 
Now, there is a provision in law to terminate deportation or what's known as removal proceedings. If an alien has been in the United States, I believe the requirement now is 10 years, possess good moral character, no arrests, no convictions, and their continued presence in the United States is essential for either an American citizen or lawful immigrant family member. So if some guy is here illegally and he has a couple of children and he's never been arrested and he's been here more than 10 years, and I think it's reasonable. It's kind of like a statute of limitations. But on a case-by-case basis, you can go out, you can knock on doors, you can show photographs. Do you know Charlie Smith? And people say, yep, we know Charlie Smith. And he, he lived in that house and he worked in that factory. And you verify all the data so you can establish when he actually entered the United States. So the law can be enforced if you can go out and have the resources to do a field investigation. That's cool. And again, the underlying reason isn't to benefit the alien, but the United States citizen or lawful immigrant family member who would suffer significantly if we deported that member of the family. You see, so that, that's reasonable. Because again, the, the overarching principle is who are we looking out for, the American or lawful immigrant. That's fair. But what they're talking about here is millions of people with no ability to certainly interview people where we're dealing with millions of applications. That's not happening. All that they're going to do is require that the alien attest to the fact that he or she entered prior to whatever magic date they establish, and they're good to go. Well, how do we verify the fact that they entered the United States 10 years ago? How do we know they didn't get here 10 days ago and are lying? <clears throat> the simple answer is we are clueless. This will be on the honor system. And the honor system only works for honorable people. So people who are determined to remain here illegally or come here illegally may not even be here yet, come here, Go to some advisor who says, yeah, 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 put down such and such date. And they will. And they're in Lake Flint. Now, understand, we saw this with the Reagan amnesty, and it created a cottage industry because we started to see desktop publishing back then. Think how sophisticated computers are today. So they were able to get their hands on counterfeit but high-quality utility bills, rent receipts, and so forth, frequently illegal aliens use false ID, very often multiple false identity documents in different names. I've I've arrested people where they had three or four or five Social Security cards in their wallets, different numbers, different names. Where did you get it? Oh, I found it in the street. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you went for a walk and found a Social Security card lying on the sidewalk? I wish I had a dollar for every alien that I encountered as an agent who told me that they found their counterfeit Social Security card in the street. It's amazing. Without the ability, field investigations or even interviews, how in the world do we know if they're being honest? The answer is we don't know. Now, what's also disturbing is that the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, identified immigration fraud as the number one method of entry and embedding, hiding in plain sight by terrorists. This would create massive immigration fraud that would go undetected, unpunished, unidentified, 
that all we have to do is let in a couple of bad actors and we're in deep trouble. I want you to remember that the terrorist attacks of 9-11 on that one day <clears throat> killed more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And the death toll from 9-11 still continues to this day. <clears throat> 19 hijackers did that. Think of the couple in San Bernardino the chaos and, and the carnage they created. Think about the Boston Marathon attack carried out by two brothers. This is what's known as asymmetrical warfare, where just a handful of people can impose catastrophic casualties through terrorism. The bombing of the Trade Center in 93 almost succeeded. The goal of the terrorists was to topple one tower into the other tower so that buildings would cascade like falling dominoes. Their goal was to kill 250,000 people in the heart of Manhattan, the financial center. Think about that. They almost succeeded. They damn near succeeded. So now we're being told that we are supposed to provide lawful status to 6.5 million, which could easily, we saw what happened with Reagan, where three times the number ultimately came forward, was three times 6.5 million. And now we're up to roughly, what, 20 million? And if they all bring in four or five or six children each, and then they add some spouses to that, ladies and gentlemen, this bill could ultimately result in tens of millions of new immigrants legally admitted into the United States, and you can't unring that bell. What in the world would America do if we suddenly had 50 million or 60 million, or 70 million immigrants. Now, I wrote about this previously for Front Page Magazine, and I always like to read the comments. And somebody wrote, this guy Cutler has no idea what he's talking about. There aren't that many children in Latin America. But he's right, there aren't. Do you only think people that would imply would come from Latin America? We have been fighting, when I say we, it's it's an editorial, parenthetic we, the Border Patrol and others, have been finding aliens from countries across the globe entering the United States through the Mexican border. So we're not just talking about Latin America. We're talking about Asia. We're talking about the Caribbean. We're talking about China. We're talking about the Middle East. We're talking about countries that sponsor terrorism. And as I've noted before on this program and in my writings, back in 2018 there was a hearing conducted by the Homeland Security Subcommittee on the topic of Hezbollah and Iran operating in the Western Hemisphere. There are thousands of agents of Hezbollah, which is, of course, a terrorist organization that was you know, begun in Lebanon, controlled by Iran, and Iran is racing towards a nuclear weapon. By the way, you should remember that. Keep that in the back of your head. <clears throat> so Iran has sent you know, thousands of their agents, Hezbollah, to Latin America, They're working closely with the Venezuelan government. Venezuela providing travel documents, passports, and so forth, authentic documents to people from Iran and other countries from the Middle East. So you've got Hezbollah moving people and drugs into the United States, including sleeper agents. There have been a number of alien smuggling cases or human trafficking cases, whichever you prefer. Some are the same. There are some differences. Uh, But we've seen Pakistanis 
moving people from the Middle East through Brazil into Latin America and up ultimately through the Mexican border. What's interesting about Brazil is two things. Number one, in the tri-border region of Brazil, we have terror training camps where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay. I remember one day I was going into a TV studio to do an interview, and my driver, pleasant enough uh, gentleman, driving the car, had a Portuguese accent, and I asked him where he was from, and he told me he was from Brazil. Fortunately, my next question uh, that I asked him, we were waiting at a red light because he might have crashed the car. I asked him if he ever visited the tri-border region, and the guy literally jumped up and banged his head on the ceiling of the car, the, the, the town car that they had sent for me. And he freaked out. He says, how do you know about the tri-border region? And you, he was almost panicking. I said, you look upset. He said, I am. I said, why? He said, everybody in Brazil knows about the tri-border region. If you go there and you're not invited, you probably won't be seen again. So we have Middle Eastern human traffickers moving people from the Middle East, from countries that sponsor terrorism, through Brazil, a country that has terror training camps, and ultimately into the United States through the Mexican border. And yet the wonderful Republicans would not give Donald Trump the money that he needed to complete the border wall. Why is that? Because they're all bought and paid for. The Democrats, they want everybody. Come one, come all. So we have a human tsunami coming up north through Latin America, including aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism. And this bill would give them all lawful status and the ability to bring their children here, supposedly their children. What could possibly go wrong? Now, what's astonishing, and I saw Fox News cover this, when they did talk about the immigration element, they just used that number of 6.5 million. I wonder why they don't talk about what the real impact could be. Because, again, we keep hearing about how wonderful comprehensive immigration reform would be. Why in the world would you want to bring in an army of foreign workers and this nonsense? Well, they do the work Americans won't do or the work Americans are too stupid to do. We are a nation of 330 million people. There was a time when American companies looked at American children as the future of their company because they hired American kids. I remember when I was growing up, there was a wonderful television program, kind of like Jeopardy, but for college students. It was called uh, College Bowl. And I I went there. I I was in the audience a bunch of times. I loved the program. I remember one time when I went with a few of my friends, there was a woman who was frantic to get in because her nephew was one of the contestants, but she lost her ticket. So I got up and gave her my seat, and I just stood in the lobby. And then the ushers said I could stand at the back of the auditorium. She was an elderly woman. And, you know, I mean, how do you not let her sit down and watch her nephew? But the idea was that GE looked at the American engineering students and science students and technology students as their future employees. So they wanted to encourage Americans to get the best possible education so that we could lead and they could get the quality people they need. GE, by the way, is you know one, short, one stop short of bankruptcy at this point. They're cutting themselves up. They started with their lighting division. They long ago sold that off. They sold off other divisions. Um, it's remarkable. It's not even a shadow of what it used to be. It's dead company walking. 
<clears throat> they sold off GE Rail. They used to make tremendous locomotives, guns. So now they're, they're down to uh, GE, um, I think it's a jet engines, medical equipment, and some other divisions. Everything else they had to sell off because of the geniuses of Jeffrey Immelt and, and uh, Jack Welsh. By the way, just to show you how brilliant our corporate leaders are, I remember when Welsh wrote his book, The Late Great Jack Welsh, maybe not so great. They don't like picking on the dead. They can't defend themselves. But what he did, I believe, was indefensible. But everybody was marveling at what a brilliant guy he was. They all wanted to copy the Welsh model. For those of you not familiar with the Welsh model, <clears throat> and I remember he was on, I believe, The Tonight Show, talking about this nonsense. You promote the top 10% of your, of your employees, and you fire the bottom 10% performers. Well, what have you just done? You've turned each employee into an adversary against every other employee. So that instead of helping Charlie, who works at the, at the desk next to yours, and saying, hey, Charlie, let me help you with your project, you look at Charlie, you go, wow, if that guy does better than I do, he could get the promotion that I want, or I could be fired because of him. So suddenly the employees no longer were willing to collaborate because they saw everybody else as somebody who was gunning for them, and other companies quickly followed this idiocy. Uh, I don't know where this brain fart came from, but Jack Welsh, I guess, in the middle of maybe having indigestion during a bad nightmare, comes up with this program, and it became an industry standard. God knows there might still be some idiotic companies doing business that way. America at this point only seems to care about one thing and one thing alone, and that's profit. The bean counters, the accountants are running these companies, not the engineers. Well, it's all about profit. I mean, let me ask you, do you ever wonder why? If you had a dishwasher, let's say, 30 years ago, you probably had it for 20 years prior. Products lasted almost forever. <clears throat> if you buy a dishwasher today, you're lucky if you can get six or seven years out of it. Why is that? The Voyager spacecraft was launched out of the solar system back in the 70s, and they're still functioning incredibly at the edge of the solar system. Why then? Can't we make products that last longer? Well, these are failures by design, just like immigration. Failures by design. It's called cost out. They have new engineers sitting at workbenches trying to figure out how they can eliminate a screw or get rid of a piece of metal or make things a little bit thinner or a little bit weaker. And then the product fails, and they have to go to the underwriting labs to get them recertified because what they've now produced is a piece of garbage. But their profits go up, and they say, well, that's not a bad deal. Because if, if we're making a light switch, <clears throat> and we could save two-tenths of a penny on each light switch, and we sell 5,392,006 light switches, think how much more money we will pocket. Well, yeah, but if you make a piece of garbage, people will stop buying that crap, and they'll buy it from another company. But they don't care about that. All they care about is earning statements in the bottom line. It's not enough to make money. You've got to make the absolute most amount of money. It used to be in the 50s <clears throat> that CEOs made about 50 times what their average employee earned, and that was fine. You're entitled to it. Today, CEOs earn sometimes more than 600 times what their employees earn, and they're still trying to figure out ways to finagle the system to make even more money. When is enough enough? We do business with China 
because the companies are finding it more profitable. And if, God forbid, China takes over the world, America will end, freedom will end, and we will all live under tyranny. Is that the price we should be paying so some CEO can make an extra $5 million next year? Because that's what we're doing, folks. This is crazy stuff. Instead of standing up and saying, we're going to hire Americans and we're going to make our stuff in America, which is something Trump was pushing for, look at how much is made overseas. If you don't believe it, look at the supply chain crisis. How do you think that happened? Because most of the stuff that we're buying was not made in America, made overseas, made in China, made in third world countries. And the more that we move production offshore, and the more that we bring in foreign workers who work for a fraction of what American high-tech workers will work for, we're eating the middle class. We're convincing Americans that capitalism doesn't work. That's what we're doing. The conservatives jump up and down about anti-Americanism and kids don't believe in America anymore and critical race theory, which is an abomination, absolutely. And I'm going to be writing about critical race theory. It's a disaster. It's immoral should be illegal <clears throat> but they talk about how americans are self-hating and americans uh, are communists and americans are lazy and they don't want to go to work how about the americans who've lost their jobs through no fault of their own because their companies fired them and replaced them with workers from india or other third world countries and in some instances even forced them to train their replacements if they wanted their severance package so what do you do when you're 53 years old and you are making a really good paycheck because you have a master's degree in programming or engineering, but you've been fired. Who's going to hire you for your old salary? And the answer is nobody is. So you lose your home. You wind up homeless. These are people that are easy marks for socialism. Pardon the pun of Marx, as in Karl Marx. My dad taught me that if you want to turn a capitalist into a communist, take away his money. When I was a kid, many of my friends' parents bought new cars. Sometimes they had two cars in the driveway. How many people buy cars today? How many people lease cars today? Why? Because the middle class is going the way of the dodo bird. That's the topic of my newest article that hopefully will be published in Front Page Magazine in the next couple of days. Please look for it. These are self-inflicted wounds based on corporate greed, on a level of greed and corruption we've never seen in this country. I, I look at the Biden syndicate. Uh, did I say syndicate? I meant to say cabinet. You know, I sometimes have a problem with the language, you know, the Biden syndicate. Hunter Biden, always hunting for something, probably illegal. Hookers, drugs, God knows what, making business deals that certainly... Uh, call into question the integrity of the, his father's presidency. Uh, I had an old-time supervisor back when I was uh, an agent. His name was Frank Johnson. And Frank would hold these meetings after payday. We used to actually have payday. We didn't have direct deposit way back when I first started. And, and Frank Johnson, an uh, interesting guy, was as straight as an arrow. He held himself to a higher standard than he held the guys that, that worked for him. It was mostly men, so I'm saying guys. I think we had two female agents back then. Um, but he would end these payday meetings where we would have a discussion about ongoing investigations and things that we might be looking for so we could help each other out and collaborate. 
And he almost always ended those payday meetings by reminding us, he said, uh, folks, you're all federal agents. And as a federal agent, it's not enough that you don't engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. And then we come to Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and, and, and where we are with campaign contributions and how this government of ours no longer gives a rat's tail about the average American. And so they're pushing comprehensive reform. I, I named it, by the way, and Jeff Sessions liked it so much. He was a senator from Alabama back in 2006, I believe it was, when I wrote my piece for the Washington Times where I called it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. Because, again, we're going to be giving millions of people who snuck past the vetting process at ports of entry. We're going to give them lawful status without the ability to interview them, let alone do a field investigation. These are acts of national suicide. But yet you don't hear much about the immigration bill, even on the conservative programs. <clears throat> it's all about all the other measures, but they want to ignore immigration because they are all in for comprehensive immigration reform. This is a massive betrayal of America and Americans. You want to talk about American ex exceptionalism while you import an army of foreign workers and tell me that you really believe in what you're saying? This is nonsense. So by bringing in an army of foreign workers, we make it a lot easier for our adversaries to commit acts of espionage against us. Chinese espionage is so pervasive, and we've trained their programmers. We allowed their engineers to study in our schools so they could build their military that they threaten us with now. And the companies were giving them training, optional practical training, so they could fire Americans and hire Chinese students <clears throat> who went home and it was called a thousand grains of sand. Nobody expected a student or, or a spy to bring home the blueprint to the F-35, for example. So they would say to one guy, well, you get us the landing gear, and you get us the instruments, and you get us the control surfaces, and, and, and so forth. And they got all these elements to the airplane, and everyone brought home a little bit of that airplane, not the physical, but the, the, the plans, and then they just reassembled it like a big jigsaw puzzle. Why are we doing this? Because corporations want to make more money. Blood money, if you will. <clears throat> Blood money. We're willing to undermine America's national security so that corporations could fatten their earning statements. Now, I'm all for earning statements. I'm all for profitability. But when you make it easy for our enemies to acquire our technology, that's treasonous, that's dangerous, that's suicidal. But that's where we are today. Corporate greed is the order of the day. All that seems to matter is how much money you have. And when there's a presidential election, they talk about how many billions of dollars are spent between the two parties on the election campaigns. Is that what the founding fathers had in mind? The best government money can buy? <clears throat> so for all the talk about the Green New Deal, by the way, the Democrats love to talk about sustainability. How sustainable would it be to have millions of new immigrants come to America? You know, every person who's present in the United States needs more than a pillow to sleep on. Everyone who comes here needs water and electricity and food and housing and clothing, transportation, they need infrastructure. 
there was a story on 60 Minutes, and, and this is all in my upcoming article. Again, please check out Front Page Magazine after you look at these other two articles at Front Page and at U.S. Incorporated about how the west of the United States is suffering a massive drought. And think how much water each person requires. So you're thinking, well, we're told we should drink eight glasses of water a day. Okay. Now we need water for sanitary purposes, to shower, to wash our hands, to use the toilet. We need water to grow our food. We need acreage of land per person to grow the food that we eat. Think about all that. Everybody in the United States has an environmental footprint. So while the Democrats are jumping up and down and screaming about wind power and solar power and renewable power and pollution-free and sustainability, how sustainable are we if we add to America's 330 million another 100 million, another 50 million? Pick a number. Each person, I, I think if I remember the number right, needs 85 gallons of water per day on average. And you're going to bring in tens of millions of people that need 85 gallons of water per day and we have a drought in the West? How does that work out? We don't want to pollute, but we need more electricity. And we certainly can't generate enough electricity with renewables right now. What happens if overnight we suddenly have another uh, 30, 40, 50 million people that need electricity? Where does that lead us? What happens to the educational system that's faltering already? Back in the uh, around 2006, the Congressional Budget Office said that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate kids who can't speak, read, or write English. Many of these kids that would come here will not be English proficient. So what happens to the education of American children? Is this really a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? It seems like the only people being served are the people with deep pockets, and the rest of us are being serviced. We need to wake up. We're watching these smash and, and, and grab robberies, people being assaulted. A graduate student was just killed tragically, I believe it was yesterday, knifed to death near Columbia University. The criminals have taken control of the streets, and it seems as though the criminals have taken control of the political system. Birds of a feather. And where does that leave the average American? These aren't left-right issues. Full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat, but I haven't felt good about the Democrat Party for decades now because they've gone off the, the reservation. And the Republicans are all about corporate greed because they have to answer to the campaign contributors, which is Orwellian for bribers. I think back to Frank Johnson's admonition that it's not enough to not engage in wrongdoing but to not give the illusion of doing wrong. We weren't allowed to accept so much as a cup of coffee on duty. The only thing we could accept from anybody was a glass of ice water. And the politicians are getting money hand over fist, and you don't think it influences the decisions they make, the, the bills that they legislate? As I said, we now have the best government money can buy. You have people going to Washington, penniless, and coming out of Washington, millionaires. How do you think that happens? They're saving their their congressional paychecks. There's a revolving door between the staffers who work for members of both the House and Senate 
and they make that journey from from Congress over to the lobbyist on K Street, and in the process, they get a multiple of the paycheck they were earning when they worked for the for that member of Congress. If you really want an inexhaustible supply of clean energy, I think I may have the solution. Attach generators to the revolving doors that these staffers pass through on their way to K Street. There should be no. This should be a moratorium. This should not be allowed. If you work for a member of Congress, you should be barred for at least three or five years or whatever from transitioning over to K Street. Because right now, you're putting those staffers in the position where they could be told, hey, come work for us if you can get your senator or your congressman to vote a certain way on several bills to prove to us that you have what it takes. You meet with a staffer, and you make a wonderful presentation, and I've done this. How do you have a guarantee that when Congressman whoever comes into work that morning and says to the kid, hey, Charlie, did you have that meeting with Mr. Cutler? What's to prevent that kid from saying, ah, nothing to hear, nothing to say, waste of time, boss? I very often wonder if that didn't happen after I walked out of an office unless I met specifically with that member of Congress. Those staffers wield an incredible amount of influence and power, and certainly nobody votes for them. The system is rigged for corruption. You know, in the World War II movies, you would see the submarines, they'd say rigged for silent running. Well, we're rigged for corruption. It's the, it's the contributions. It's the revolving door between the staff and K Street. And in all of this, where are the best interests of America or Americans? You'd be hard-pressed to find it. I, I hope that the articles that I write present you with the facts that you need. Now, I'm going to make a suggestion. And I did this when I was on Bobby Gunther's show. I'm on his program every other week. Um, I'm always happy to be on his program. I want you to think about the way you approach your friends and neighbors. This is the holiday season. You're going to be meeting with lots of family and friends at parties and dinners and get-togethers, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And politics is kind of dicey. You know, they always say don't discuss politics. But if you're going to talk about politics, a couple of quick ideas. Number one, the people that disagree with you, especially the ones that will talk to you about how they feel bad for illegal aliens and so forth, I, I've seen too many so-called conservatives with great disdain say, oh, another bleeding heart. Well, you know what? Maybe it's because of their bleeding heart that you found them appealing as friends years ago. Do you want to be friends with someone who's a cold-hearted SOB or somebody who's compassionate and charitable and decent? Uh, I know who I would rather have for friends. But the problem is that these decent people are being taken down the primrose path. They are being manipulated and their compassion has become weaponized by the adversaries of America. They want people to not understand that what they're talking about is not only not sustainable, but not reasonable. I remember one time I was on a radio program with a young lady who was an attorney, and she was committed to this issue, and it was a low-budget program, so I drove her back to New York. The studio was in Jersey, and it was a freezing winter night. Traffic was slow, and the roads were icy. So we had about two hours in the car, and she kept telling me, America is a big country. We could admit 100 million immigrants. 
And I said, okay, so let's keep going. Can we admit a billion? Can we admit two billion? Because how many people are on the planet that are below the poverty line who would give anything to come to America? I said, at some point, even you would agree that we have to close the door. How do you do that if you're not willing to close the door now? Who decides how many is viable? By the time I got into a house, she changed her position. She said, my gosh, I never thought of it that way. Don't insult the people who are concerned about people that are living in poverty or under horrific conditions. They're following a normal human instinct of compassion. That's wonderful. But sometimes there are no good choices. Imagine being on a lifeboat that's filled to the brim, and you're in frigid waters and sharks are circling, and there are people in the water, and you know those people aren't going to survive. But if you try to let them all onto your boat, the boat's going to capsize and nobody survives. America is not unlike that lifeboat. So use those analogies. And by the way, don't end a discussion by making a statement because that's just going to be seen as you just browbeating. Ask them a question. One of my favorite questions to ask somebody about the immigration debate is a very simple one. Would you get on an airplane if you saw people sneaking past TSA? I don't know anybody who would get on an airplane if they saw that, right? Especially if they were carrying backpacks. So then why in the world are we being forced to live among millions of aliens who evaded the same sort of a vetting process we conducted ports of entry? We have no idea who they are. We have no idea why they've come here. We don't know who they're affiliated with. And don't you think that when there are jobs, that the jobs should go to Americans first? That's what the immigration laws call for now. Every time we hear talk about we need to modernize the immigration laws, what you should know is that that is code for we need to make certain that Americans don't get the first shot at the jobs because that is what corporate America and what the Chamber of Commerce, I call them the Chamber of Horrors, is salivating over. Why do we have to protect American workers and their jobs? The hell with Americans. We could bring in an army of foreign workers, and they will work for third world wages in America. But you know what happens if you do that? That will become the new norm. And in short order, America itself will become a third world country. So these are thoughts that I want you to focus on. And I urge you, if possible, to have calm, rational fact-based conversations with your neighbors. It's one thing to say, I wish I had a magic wand so that I could end world hunger. I wish I had a magic wand so I could drive by every hospital and allow everyone to go home well and intact. Boy, what I wouldn't give for that. I lost my parents to cancer when I was a kid. I lost my first wife to cancer uh, over uh, 33 years ago. I wish I had that magic wand, but we don't. Wishing that we could do something isn't the same as being able to do it. Hope is not a strategy. Wishes are not a solution. We need to deal with reality. We need to deal with, with the cold, hard facts. And I think the facts are simple. I think the facts, common sense, morality, and current laws are all on our side. We need to be clear in what we believe in. Don't look at your neighbors who disagree with you as an adversary. See them as an ally all that is necessary is for you to win them over. I hope my articles are helpful. I hope this program is helpful. If you like my show, if you like my articles, please share them by whatever means possible with as many people as possible. We need to get the word out. What Americans should be focusing on is what makes us most similar, not what makes us most different. 
Life is a tough proposition for all of us, irrespective of the superficial factors, you know, race, religion, ethnicity. We should be working to help each other. Have a great weekend. Again, happy Hanukkah. Remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. See you next week, everybody.